You like that song? I was glad that we could find that. It's um, written by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit wrote it first, right? He pretty much stuck real close to Psalm 23, didn't he? And I appreciate uh, Stuart Town and just taking the scriptures and, and um, putting it to music and not changing it up too much. It's always fun to sing the scriptures and to sing a psalm, which was originally intended to be a song, right? And uh, the psalms are not so much, so much prayers as they are songs that were originally written to be sung by the people of Israel. So uh, I don't know if you know Stuart Townend. He's a British um, composer and, and worship leader. He uh, has done some things with the Gettys. Uh, in fact, he and Keith Getty wrote um, In Christ Alone. So that's the song we're all familiar with. So that's kind of who that guy is. But anyway, hopefully we'll get to, to know that song over the next few weeks and, and really enjoy singing it, uh, singing the scriptures really back to the Lord. Well, last week we began a study of Psalm 23, which may very well be the best known passage in the entire Bible, but the least understood passage in the entire Bible. I think it would be hard for any of us to find someone who is not familiar with the 23rd Psalm. But I think it would also be hard to find someone who fully appreciates its profound implications for their life. And so my goal in preaching this six-sermon series uh, is to help all of us develop a deeper, more intimate knowledge of this psalm, but more importantly, a deeper, more intimate knowledge of the shepherd of this psalm, who is none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think that's something that's often missed whenever the Old Testament is taught, Uh, We don't make the connection to the New Testament, and we know that God revealed, or I should say prophesied, uh, of this coming Messiah in the Old Testament, and that Messiah was revealed in the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're always on safe ground uh, in in, uh, reading Christ into a passage as long as some New Testament writers borrowed that imagery or that metaphor or even the exact verse, right, uh, and quoted in the New Testament. That's under the direction of the Holy Spirit. That's Spirit-inspired use of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so that's how we can know for sure we're making a legitimate connection, right, between the Jesus of the New Testament and Jehovah God of the Old Testament, And if you remember when Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room after he rose from the dead, he said this in Luke chapter 23, verse 44, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so Jesus was letting us know that there was a lot that was written about him by Moses in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, things that foreshadowed him. Uh, obviously, the prophets prophesied of, of his coming, but there's also references to Christ in the Psalms. It's what we refer to as Messianic Psalms. And uh, we mentioned last week that Psalm 23 is, in this, is really the heart of a series of Messianic Psalms particularly Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24. 
And we know that uh, three times in the New Testament, Jesus is described as a, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. He's described three times in the New Testament as a shepherd. I want us to look just quickly at those references. We looked at them last week, but they were, we, we were just kind of uh, going really fast. And I want to make sure you see these uh, with your own eyes. John chapter 10, verse 11. John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus said, I am the who? The good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You may want to underline or box that phrase, the good shepherd, there in verse 11. And we said last week that uh, Psalm 22 was a prophetic psalm that Jesus actually quoted when he was on the cross. Some of the exact things that happened to him in, during his crucifixion, during his trial and crucifixion, are prophesied in Psalm 22. And so we said that Psalm 22 uh, talks about the good shepherd, and it, you could call it the psalm of the cross, because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Um, secondly, Jesus is referred to as the great shepherd in Hebrews chapter 13. Turn over there for a moment. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing to us, pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may want to underline or box in that phrase, the great shepherd. And we said that Psalm 23 is really the psalm of the great shepherd. That We said you could call it the psalm of the crook, right? The shepherd's staff. Um, and, and this is really the present ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives as his followers. Um, Psalm 22 is his past work, uh, the good shepherd giving up his life. Uh, then there's the great shepherd in, in Hebrews 13 who continually lives on behalf and intercedes for his sheep. And then finally, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, Jesus is called the chief shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 5 Verse 4, Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He was encouraging the uh, human shepherds, earthly shepherds, the pastors, the elders of the churches that he was writing to that said, you, If you faithfully serve the Lord, shepherding his flock as his under shepherds, then when the chief shepherd appears, you'll, you will be rewarded. You may want to underline or box in that little title there, this chief shepherd. And we said that that is really prophesied, the role of Christ as the chief shepherd uh, was prophesied in Psalm 24, where uh, David prophesied about the coming, the second coming of Christ, uh, and we said that could be called the Psalm of the Crown. Well, there's one other passage I want you to see with me while we're in this neighborhood, 1 Peter, um, 1 Peter chapter 2, just turn back a few pages, uh, a few chapters, we just looked at 1 Peter 5, 4. Now let's look at 1 Peter 2, verse 21. And I want to show you this connection here. For you have been called out for this purpose, this is 1 Peter 2, 21, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return, while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously." 
And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Now don't miss verse 25. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the, what? Shepherd and guardian of your souls. Again, another reference to the Lord Jesus Christ here who we stray from like sheep, but now we've returned to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. That's where this title came from, delighting in and depending on the great shepherd of our soul. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And we can see that in, 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 in as we look at these passages from the New Testament, that we are not stretching anything to talk about Jesus Christ as being the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 23. And so it's right there in the text that uh, the Jehovah, Jehovah God was the shepherd in the Old Testament and Jesus Christ is the shepherd in the New Testament. There's a very clear connection. So tonight, we're going to look at what Psalm 23 teaches about finding peace and rest in our shepherd, the great shepherd of our soul, Jesus Christ. So turn back to Psalm 23 now. And uh, I want to just reread the psalm, even though it's very familiar to us. But uh, let's reread it this, this evening. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you missed last week's message, you can go online and listen to the exposition of that, that phrase. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Tonight we're going to look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." Father, we thank you for another opportunity to open up your word. We thank you that uh, we have come tonight again to your green pastures. Anytime we come to church, anytime we come to your word, uh, we, we, we have entered your green pastures. Thank you for providing us food to sustain our souls, to feed our souls, to strengthen our souls, to revive our souls, to sustain our souls. And so I pray as the word is, is preached tonight, Father, that you would accomplish your work in feeding your flock tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we live in a restless world where everyone and everything moves at a hectic, hurried rate. We always feel like we're running behind and like there's never enough time to do all that needs to be done. There's always one more meal to fix, one more load of laundry to do, one more errand to run, one more bill to pay, one more job to bid, one more client to visit, one more report to file, more, one more project to complete, and on and on our life goes. And in this culture of chaos where there is constant activity and continuous noise, it seems impossible to find peace and rest. And so we go through life feeling weary and worn out, wishing that the world would stop spinning so we could get off and catch our breath. But it never does. And so we just go through life tired, 
stressed out, while the hair on her head grows thinner and grayer, and the bags under her eyes get bigger and darker, then what's worse than the effects on our body are the effects on our soul. Because our soul becomes colder and drier and weaker. One commentator of Psalm 23 said this, living in a fast-paced world with all of its demands, hassles, and frustrations can take its toll on our souls. And whether you realize it or not, by virtue of the fact that you are living on planet Earth, right, and you, are, you can relate to this restlessness, this chaos, this constant activity, this continuous noise, this frenetic energy, you, your soul... Right, All this that you deal with on a daily basis is taking a toll on your soul. You, you know it's taking a toll on your body. You know that. You feel that. But sometimes we don't think about what it's doing to our soul. Because our soul doesn't necessarily show the signs as easily as our body does. Satan, who is the great enemy of our soul, which is the direct opposite of what? the great shepherd of our soul. Satan is the great enemy of our soul and he wants to wear us out. He wants to keep us so busy that we never have time to cultivate true intimacy with Christ. And his aim is to distract us, to distract us from the one thing or more precisely, the one person that matters most in our lives. You remember the story of Mary and Martha, right? In Luke chapter 10, And uh, Jesus came to their house to have a meal with his disciples, and Martha was scurrying around the house, frantically getting the meal prepared and wanting everything to be just perfect for Jesus. And she was serving the Lord while her little sister Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, doing nothing to help her, and yet Jesus commended her for doing the right thing, the one thing that really mattered, which was worshiping him. Someone said this, it's generally recognized as being a very difficult thing to get God's people to lie down. In other words, we all tend to be Martha's, don't we? That's why that story is so convicting, because we're always doing stuff to serve the Lord, and oh yeah, wait, time out, aren't we supposed to be seeking the Lord first, right? Seek the Lord before you serve the Lord? And so it's very difficult to get God's people to just lie down. I joke with my mom. She's got this nice little lazy boy chair in her living room that I think I've seen her sit in twice. And in fact, I caught her in it the other day and I was about to take a picture and she jumped out of the chair so I couldn't take a picture. I'm like, Mom, it's okay. You can sit down and relax. It's not a sin, right? It's giving her a hard time. Uh, Because she's always moving, always going. But this author said this, that they will run, God's people will run, they'll walk, they'll fight, they'll, they'll sing, they'll teach, they'll preach, they'll work. In a word, they'll do almost anything and everything except seek seasons of quiet and periods of retirement of secret communion with God and quiet soul nurture. We do not like pauses, but from the rush into the hush, Jesus calls us. And I hope tonight you will hear the voice of Christ through this text 
Psalm 23, verse 2, calling you from the rush into the hush. Jesus, the good shepherd, graciously calls us and leads us to rest in him, while at the same time, Satan, the bad shepherd, ruthlessly screams at us and drives us to go harder and faster. In the very same context of John 10, where Jesus introduced himself as the good shepherd, the verse right before that, John 10.10, it says, the thief comes to steal to kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Obviously, he was referring to Satan, right? Satan is the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. For those of you that are reading um, Keller's book, um, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, uh, hopefully you've gotten your copy and uh, you spent your two bucks wisely, right, to get your little copy, and you're reading through it and keeping up with us here and just supplementing our study with this reading. But uh, there's just some very helpful things that he has to say, very picturesque, very colorful language. And I wanted just to read a section here where he describes the bad shepherd. What is the bad shepherd all about? Well, Philip Keller, as you know, was a shepherd, and he did a a stellar job of serving his sheep, but he had a neighbor who was also a shepherd who didn't do such a good job, and he describes him in his book. He says, the tenant sheepman on the farm next to my first ranch was the most indifferent manager I'd ever met. He was not concerned about the condition of his sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty well forage for themselves as best they could. Both summer and winter, they fell to prey to dogs, cougars, and rustlers. Every year, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. Every winter, there was was a shortage of nourishing hay and wholesome grain to feed the hungry ewes. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards was scanty and inadequate. They had only polluted muddy water to drink. There had been a lack of salt and other trace minerals needed to offset their sickly pastures. In their thin, weak, and diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. He said, in my mind's eye, I can still see them standing at the fence, huddled sadly in little knots, staring wistfully through the wires at the rich pastures on the other side. To all their distress, the heartless, selfish selfish owner seemed utterly callous and indifferent. He simply did not care. What if his sheep did want green grass, fresh water, shade, safety, or shelter from the storms? What if, what if they did, excuse me, <clears throat> what if they did want relief from wounds, bruises, disease, and parasites? He ignored their needs. He couldn't care less. Why should he? They were just sheep fit only for the slaughterhouse. And then he said this. And hopefully you've already thought this as I've read that. He said, I never looked at those poor sheep without an acute awareness that this was a precise picture of those wretched old taskmasters, sin and Satan, on their derelict ranch, scoffing at the plight of those within their power. That's a very vivid description of your life outside of Christ, that's what we were like before we became Christians, right? And if you're not a Christian, that's the life you're still living. You're on that barren, desolate ranch, right, with an evil taskmaster who, who could care less about you. 
I read somewhere today that Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was the Russian writer, the famous Russian writer, dissident activist, he described his days in Russian prison. They threw him in prison because of his views and the things he protested against. And he said that part of the torture was not being allowed to rest or sit down or lie down for days on end. That they, they, the, the, the guards worked the prisoners around the clock 24 hours a day, so they were utterly exhausted, but they never let them lie down and rest. I mean, can you imagine how miserable an existence that must have been? All right, we've all been like exhausted, like I just, I can't keep my eyes open any longer. I mean, I just need to sit down. I just need to lie down. I just need to close my eyes. And they wouldn't let them do it. And I think that's a description of Satan, who is an evil taskmaster, who knows that busyness leads to barrenness. I mean, it's a fact that sheep cannot and will not find rest without the help of a shepherd. They they can't do it themselves. In fact, if left to themselves, they will wear themselves out and eventually die of exhaustion. And guess what? We're just like sheep. If left to ourselves, we'll do the same thing. We will just wear ourselves out and eventually die of exhaustion. And woe to those of us who have no shepherd to make us lie down in green pastures and to lead us beside still waters. That's our text this evening. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. I can't think of a more tranquil, more peaceful, more serene picture than that of a sheep lying down in this lush green pasture beside this gently flowing brook. I can't help but think about images I saw several weeks ago in New Zealand, this idyllic provincial setting, these green grassy hillsides with, dotted with little sheep and, and beautiful streams and brooks going through them. And, and, and it was just, uh, it, it was like almost like we were stuck in time. Uh, it was just a beautiful, serene setting. Very easy place to relax. One commentator said this, certainly no image could have been devised more beautifully descriptive of rest and safety and trustful happiness than that of the sheep lying down in the deep, rich meadow grass beside the living stream under the care of a tender and watchful shepherd. And we know that this verse comes on the heels of verse 1. We learned last week that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, you could, David, what David was saying is the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. I've got everything I need. And the rest of the psalm, verses two through six, really explain or amplify verse one. Well, what does it mean that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Well, let me explain to you. Let me give you specifics. And so David goes on here to describe the ways that God took care of him and how God takes care of all the sheep of his flock. And he recounted the many blessings that those in God's fold experience. And the first thing that David mentioned was that he never lacked or wanted for peace and rest. He said, he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. Now, at first glance, this might seem like David was simply referring to how God provides our most basic needs of both food and water. It seems like, right, grass and water. 
the two greatest needs that sheep have. In other words, God makes sure that we always have enough to eat and enough to drink. We will never know hunger and thirst. However, I want to point out to you that verse 5 seems to focus on God's provision of food and water or sustenance. Notice verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And here in verse 2, the focus seems to be more on the peace and rest which results from having an abundance of food and water. And so I want us to see past the, the surface here where it just says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and lean beside water. Oh, great, I, have, I always have plenty to eat and plenty to drink. But when a shepherd finds green pastures for his flock to graze in and quiet waters for his flock to drink from, they are able to experience peace and rest. Food and water are simply a means to a greater end. And that is peace and rest. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34, we read from this uh, chapter last week when Jesus, or excuse me, when, when, when God was confronting the bad shepherds of Israel who had not cared well for the flock that he had entrusted to them, and he had to come and take his sheep back over, he basically fired the shepherds, the spiritual leaders of Israel, and he took back over the job. And notice what he says in Ezekiel 34, verse 11. Here talking about the restoration of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11. He says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he's among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they're scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Now notice verse 15. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to what? Rest, declares the Lord God. Notice Psalm 23, verse 2, the first phrase there, he makes, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Notice he's focusing on what happens after you eat. Sheep typically don't eat lying down, right? They graze standing up. So the emphasis here is not on the sheep eating as much as it is on, it is on the sheep lying down. And, and this, is, this is very, very important um, for a sheep to lie down. Why? Because sheep are by nature very restless, very anxious, very fearful creatures, and they won't lie down unless certain things are true. Again, let me read for you from the experience of Philip Keller, who was a shepherd, and listen to what he says about this phrase, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He says, the strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. You ready? Four things have to be true. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. 
So if they're afraid, if they're uh, fearful of anything around them, a wild animal, even a domestic dog, a small child toddling around, whatever it might be, it makes them anxious, it makes them restless, and they won't lie down. Because of the social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they're free from friction with others of their kind. In other words, uh, certain flocks of sheep have dynamics. There's bully sheep, right, that will go around and bully the other sheep. And if there's a sheep that realizes that they may get bullied or there's conflict in the herd, they're not going to lie down. They're not going to feel at rest. Sound familiar in church, right? Sometimes you have some of those type of people in a church. Thirdly, he says, if tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free of these pests can they relax. So if they've got bugs, if they've got some parasites or insects that are pestering them, they can't relax. They can't lie down. They're anxious. And he says, lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. And so he goes on, he says, it is significant that to be at rest, there must be a definite sense of freedom from fear, tension, aggravations, and hunger. He said the unique aspect aspect of the picture is that it is only the sheepman himself or the shepherd who can provide release from these anxieties. It all depends on the diligence of the owner, whether or not his flock is free of disturbing influences. When we examine each of these four factors that affect sheep so severely, we will understand why the part the owner plays in their management is so tremendously important. It is actually he who makes it possible for them to lie down, to rest, to relax, to be content and quiet and flourishing. Don't miss what it says here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This isn't anything we can do in our own strength and our own ability. God is the one who grants us this peace and rest. And so if you're in a place in your life where you're anxious and you're fearful and you've tried really hard not to be anxious and fearful and you keep having these anxiety attacks and and you don't know why and, and you've tried really hard, you've tried everything that you could do, well, guess what? Stop trying and start trusting, right? Praying to the Lord and say, Lord, would you make me lie down in green pastures? Would you calm my anxious heart? And trust him to do it instead of relying on your own strength and ability to somehow calm your fears and your restlessness. Only the shepherd can provide the peace and the rest that sheep so desperately need in order to thrive and to be productive. Notice he goes on, he leads me beside quiet waters. Again, notice the emphasis on God. He leads me, he leads me. He makes me lie down and he leads me. He leads me beside quiet waters, literally waters of rest. Now, we need to understand that that sheep don't think twice about what they drink. They see water, they're thirsty, they'll drink it. They don't ask the question, is this clean, is this polluted? Uh, It doesn't matter if it's filthy, uh, polluted pool. That's why they need a shepherd to lead them to fresh, clean water to keep them from making themselves sick with some kind of contaminated Water. Also, sheep won't drink from fast-moving water. If, uh, if a shepherd brings his uh, sheep up against this raging river, the sheep won't drink. It, it's a fearful thing for a sheep because if a sheep falls into that, that water, they're going to get swept away in the rapids. 
or even if it's a, a dangerous pool, if that sheep falls in, uh, you ever fall into a lake or, or a swimming pool with your ski clothes on, your winter coat, right? It's kind of hard to swim, isn't it? Well, they got this permanent wool coat, right, that immediately fills with water and glug, 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 right? That sheep's going to have a hard time staying afloat. And so sheep and water are not good friends, right? And so they have to be confident that they can get that drink without falling in or without getting swept away. In fact, sometimes I read that shepherds even will dam up a portion of a river that maybe is too fast moving. They'll take some big rocks and they'll throw them in the river to slow the flow of the water so their sheep can come in and have a place, a suitable place for them to drink. Listen to Isaiah chapter 41. This is a great description of God's promise to provide water for his people, Israel. By the way, some interpret Psalm 23 not just as a a picture of David and his relationship with God, but they say that it's also a picture of God's relationship with Israel, Israel's relationship with God, and how God was their shepherd uh, from Egypt, right, all the way on uh, out in the wilderness, and how he shepherded them through the wilderness and gave them the promised land, right, that land of flowing with milk and honey, that this is just one analogy of of the history of Israel, Psalm 23. But listen to Isaiah 41, verse 17. The afflicted and needy are seeking water, but there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them myself. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains of water. And so here's God promising his people, the nation of Israel, uh, water, that they would have plenty of water to drink. I think both literally and figuratively. And yet even though God promised to provide this fresh, life-giving water for his people to drink, they were a rebellious flock, rebellious sheep, who chose to reject him as their shepherd and instead to drink from polluted wells that failed to satisfy their soul. You're familiar with Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. God said, For my people have committed two evils, They have forsaken me, that's evil number one, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's evil number two. So they forsook me, the fountain of living water. I'm the one one true fountain where they should come drink from. And they forsook me, and then to add insult to injury, not only did they forsake me, but they went out and tried to find water in other places, in other sources, and they actually tried to dig their own wells. Here I was giving them myself, right, to drink from. And they said, nah, we don't want you. And they actually tried to find other ways to satisfy, to quench their thirst. Guess what? We're guilty of doing the same exact thing whenever we seek satisfaction in other things besides God. And when we do that, we forfeit the peace and rest that God wants to provide us by running hither and yon, following the devices and desires of our own hearts. Now, we've been learning about this in, uh, uh, in our study of Ecclesiastes on Wednesday nights this last spring. We learned that there's a hunger and a thirst in the human heart that only God can satisfy, that only God can quench. 
And Augustine said it this way. He said, quote, you have made us for yourself, God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So we're like restless sheep who wander away from the great shepherd of our soul, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, right? We read Hebrews 13, talking about, or or excuse me, uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 25, how we have wandered away from the great shepherd of our soul. Why? Why do we do that? Well, we're, we're searching for greener pastures and sweeter waters. We're not content to let him make us lie down in green pastures to lead us beside quiet waters. We don't like what he's provided for us. So we go out and look for greener pastures and sweeter waters. Because the green pastures and quiet waters of Psalm 23 verse 2 aren't good enough. Someone said it this way. I think it was really really, um, to the point, very insightful He said, when our shepherd is near us, our minds can relax. Anxious thoughts retreat in the presence of the Lord and his word and his promises. You know that to be true, right? When you forget the presence of God in your life, you start to freak out, right? You start to be anxious and worry and fret and fear. But when you remember the shepherd is with you, he never leaves you, he never forsakes you, then that's when you relax, And anxious thoughts retreat in the presence of the Lord and his word and his promises. And then he said this, contentment comes as we realize that he is all we need and he meets all our needs. That knowledge imparts an attitude of quietness of spirit. We tend naturally toward covetousness and we have a hard time relaxing when we're not content. We're prone to want what we don't have rather than to enjoy what we do have. He says we're so often striving for something more and straining for something else that we miss the blessing that God has for us, that he's already given us. So be content with the green pastures and the quiet waters that God promises to provide. F.B. Meyer, the man who wrote the book called uh, The Shepherd psalm that I told you about um, that I just wanted to get up here and just read from cover to cover to you uh, because it's so rich. He said this, the tenderest shepherd cannot bring a flock of sheep to rest unless they follow him. In other words, we've got the, the best shepherd, right? We've got the tenderest, greatest shepherd in the universe. The Lord is our shepherd. But even the tenderest shepherd cannot bring a flock of sheep to rest unless they follow him. If they lag far behind him, if they go astray from him, if they take their own several ways, then however good the shepherd's intentions, they cannot but be thwarted and frustrated. He said it is by no means wonderful or unbelievable that we lose our rest when we run hither and thither following the devices and desires of our own hearts. In other words, why would you be surprised that you're anxious all the time and you you don't experience peace and rest when you're out there following your own devices and your own desires? He says we substitute our, our plans for his. We insist on our schemes and stratagems. 
We crowd our days with much of our own in addition to something of his. In other words, he has ordained what he wants for us to do on a daily basis, and, and, and we're not just about that. We're about all that we want to do too, right? And that's why we feel overburdened, that we're doing our will, trying to do our will along with God's will. He says, we do not look up often enough to see which way he's going and what he would have us to do, and so our rest is broken and lost. We must follow the lamb wherever he goes if we would be led to the living fountains of water which are fed from heavenly springs. Interesting analogy. He kind of turns the, the picture here. He says, we must follow the lamb. Wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to be following the shepherd. Now we're following the lamb? Well, we know that that lamb, right, the shepherd, is the lamb who was slain, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was ultimately the one who God appointed for us to find our peace and rest in. Again, turn back to Ezekiel 34, and we're kind of wearing out Ezekiel 34, but there's so much here that uh, helps us understand uh, the connection between the shepherd of Psalm 23 and the shepherd of our soul, Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Notice again Ezekiel chapter 34. I referenced this last week, verse uh, 23. At the end of uh, this section about the restoring of Israel and God saying, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fire these shepherds and I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go find my sheep and I'm gonna bring them in, I'm gonna give them good grazing ground and I'm gonna give them rest, I'm gonna lead them to rest. Verse 23, then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And we said last week, we knew that wasn't talking about David, right? Because at this point, David was dead and gone, right? This was talking about the greater David that God had promised David that he would have an an heir who would sit on his throne and reign forever and ever and ever. And it was a reference to the Messiah who we know is Jesus Christ. And so he's talking about Jesus Christ here. I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, the Messiah, and he will feed them and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. In other words, I'm gonna delegate my responsibility to someone I can trust, Couldn't trust you guys, okay? I had to do the job for you, but there is a guy I do trust, and that's my son, Jesus Christ. Notice he goes on in verse 24, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will will be prince among them, and I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season. They will be showers of blessing. Also, the tree of the field will yield its fruit, and the earth will yield its increase, and they will be secure on their land. See this idea of security and safety that God was going to provide them peace and rest as a nation. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bars of their yoke and have delivered them from the land, hand of those who have enslaved them. They will no longer be prey to the nations and the beasts of the earth will not devour them, but they will live securely and no one will make them afraid. Again, Ezekiel here is prophesying of the coming of Christ both his first coming and his second coming. Because not all of this took place when Jesus came the first time, did it? Because Jesus was rejected by the nation of Israel. 
And so this is going to be fulfilled, I believe, in the second coming of Christ when he comes to rescue and deliver the nation of Israel from all their enemies. Verse 29, I will establish for them a renowned, plant, a renowned planting place and they will not again be victims of famine in the land. They will not endure the insults of the nations anymore. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. Check it out. Verse 31, as for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men and I am your God, declares the Lord God. All that is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, jump to the New Testament here, and I just want to take a few minutes to show you how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment, or you could say the application of this Psalm 23, verse 2, green pastures and quiet waters. We're going to see that in just a moment here, the combination of green pastures and quiet waters portrays God's peace and rest that he provides us in Christ, okay? Look at Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, a familiar passage of scripture. Here's the words of Christ. Here's this shepherd, this one shepherd that Christ, or that God entrusted with his sheep, delegated the responsibility for his sheep. He says, come to me, all who are what? Weary. Sound familiar? And heavy laden, I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble and hard, and you will find what? Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The religious leaders in that day were evil taskmasters. They were satanically inspired to come up with this works-based religion where they, people had to earn their way to heaven through their good works. And so they just heaped this, this yoke upon the people, this burden that they were carrying around that no one could, 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 could carry themselves to keep the law perfectly, to earn favor with God. And so Jesus said, listen, come to me. Forget about trying to keep the law, Right? To, to earn God's favor and to, to somehow earn your way to heaven, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden and you're worn out from trying to save yourself, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. How about John chapter four? Moving to the gospel of John where we've already tread recently. John chapter four, the story of the woman at the well. You're familiar with Jesus' wording here. This is John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who was uh, talking, having a conversation with her at this well. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and, the sons and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. He went on to embellish this whole idea of water and bread Food, sustenance, just look at John uh, 6, verse 35. 
John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Look at chapter 7, John chapter 7, verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. How about John 14, 27? John 14, 27, back to the whole concept of peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Don't be fearful, don't be anxious, don't be restless like a crazy little sheep, right? I give you my peace. And then how about Revelation? Revelation chapter seven. Revelation chapter seven, and we see here the connection made to Christ, the lamb. Revelation chapter seven, verse 17. Revelation seven seventeen. for the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. So there he is. That's another reference to Christ being the shepherd. We're not making this up that He's the ultimate fulfillment of, of, of Psalm 23. There it is again. That the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life. What does Psalm 23, verse 2 says? He will lead me beside quiet waters. Here it is. Jesus, the lamb of God, sitting on the throne, will lead us, will guide us to springs of the water of life. And then Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse one. John records, then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the who? Of the lamb. You say, wow, that's cool. That's a cool connection. But how do I experience that? I see it. I see it in Scripture. I see the connection. I see the, 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 the imagery uh, of the Old Testament being used in the New Testament. But how do I make that connection to my own life? How do I experience this peace, this rest, this water of life? Well, I would say this. First of all, if you're wandering tonight in a barren desolate wasteland under the control of Satan. You're those sheep on the other side of the fence, right? Looking in going, man, I, I don't know any about, I don't know anything about what is being said here. I don't, I've not experienced anything like that. Then it's probably an indication that you're out there in the barren wasteland, right? And you're looking through the fence going, how do I get from here? This, I want to be in that pasture, right? Well, what do you do? How do you get from here to there? You trust Christ. You trust Christ. And you can find peace and rest in what Christ has done for you on the cross. It's not anything that you have to do to jump the fence, to crawl through the fence, to cut down the fence, to go around the fence. Christ has already done it for you on the cross when he came and died and shed his blood for your sin so that you could be forgiven and you could be made right with God. And when Jesus died on that cross, he delivered sinners from the domain of of darkness, from the domain of Satan, his death, through his death, he defeated 
your, your enemy. He defeated your evil taskmaster, bad shepherd, lame shepherd, who you've been, who, who you've been, who you've been reporting to, who could care less about you. He defeated that guy and said, you no longer have to serve him. You no longer have to submit to him. You no longer have to do what he tells you to do. You're no longer bound to stay in his field. And he suffered the penalty of death for sin on the cross that separated us from God. And then he rose from the dead to guarantee your salvation. And if you're willing to repent of your sin, to turn your back on your life of sin and believe that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for your sin, then you can rest in the salvation that God has provided all those who repent and believe, right? He, he promises to save us through Christ. Max Lucado, in his little book on the 23rd Psalm, said this, as he often does so eloquently, He says, green pastures are not the natural terrain of Judea. Any green pasture in Judea is the work of some shepherd. If you ever visited Israel, it's just an arid, dry, dusty place. You don't see a bunch of green pastures unless somebody's put a whole lot of work and time and energy in making that field. He says, that shepherd cleared the rough, rocky land. Stumps have been torn out. Brush has been burned. Irrigation has been installed. He said, when David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he is saying, my shepherd makes me lie down in his finished work. And with his own pierced hands, Jesus created a pasture for the soul. He tore out the thorny underbrush of condemnation. He pried loose the huge boulders of sin. And in their place, he planted seeds of grace and dug ponds of mercy. And he invites us to rest there. So Christ has created this oasis for those who are willing to repent and believe. There's no need for you to be out there in the barren wasteland of life. You come and find peace and rest in Christ. They say that there's a little epitaph, a short, touching little statement that's frequently seen in the catacombs in Rome where the Christians went to hide when they were being persecuted under Nero and they went underground and so they would write things on the walls and and one of the things you see all over apparently in the catacombs is a simple phrase, in Christo in pace. In Christo, in pace. In other words, in Christ, in peace. So if you're in Christ, you know peace. You say, okay, can I already know Christ? But sometimes I don't feel like I experience this peace and rest on an ongoing basis. What's my problem? What, what can I do? Well, I would suggest to you that you regularly pursue intimacy with Christ by spending time with him in the word and prayer. This is what we could call grazing on God. Talking about grazing, right? Sheep grazing out in the field. How do you graze on God? How do you eat and drink Christ? That's what Jesus said, right? You need to eat my flesh, drink 
my blood. And people were like, whoa, that's weird. These Christians are cannibals, right? No, he was just saying, take me in. Receive me, right? Completely, totally. And we know that the scriptures refer to themselves as food for the soul, right? Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became for me joy and the delight of my heart. We know the psalmist talks about the scriptures as honey, right? Um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, and Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 and following talks about uh, the difference between the, the milk of the word and the meat of the word, right? That again, scripture is re- referred to as milk and as meat, food that we're to eat. Milk is for babies. Meat is for mature believers. 1 Peter 2.2, 2, crave, right? The pure milk of the word. So, so the point is, how, how do you experience the peace and rest? Where, where are we to find peace and rest? Right here. And the promises of this thing. And so if you're not spending time in God's word, why, why would you be surprised that you're not experiencing peace and rest? It's right here. This is the word of Christ, which, which richly dwells within us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, right? And so we need to spend time in the word. Listen to what one commentator says. The word of the Lord is the divinely appointed food for the soul of the Christian And he cannot exist in a healthy state without feeding on it. This is the green pasture that we're to feed in right here. You want to know where the green pasture is? It's right here. Right? I mean, that's sheep grazing. Every time you pick this book up, right, this is the green pasture and you're grazing in the field. And you're taking in nourishment that will strengthen your soul and as a sheep will do they'll graze in the morning and then when the sun comes up they'll go off and find some shady spot and they'll lie down and what will they do? They'll chew their cud which means they'll regurgitate that food that they ate right from one of their four stomachs or how many they have I'm not going to get into the heifer thing I messed it up last week but you know there's lots of stomachs okay and they regurgitate it right and what do they do? They chew. They ruminate on it. And they just chew it and they chew it and they enjoy it and then they swallow it. That's a great analogy of what it means to meditate on Scripture. That it's not enough to pull out your box of Cheerios and your Bible and go, eat your cereal and eat and then you go and boom, you've done your quiet time and you never once think about it again. The whole point of, of Bible reading is to think about it all day. To meditate on it. To chew it over in your mind. To let it percolate kind of chewing your cut and mulling a verse over and, 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 and trying to think, okay, what does that really mean and how does it really apply to my life? And so we should be doing that all day. This writer goes on, a Christian who does not feed on the green pasture of scriptures, his spiritual life will weaken and the health of his soul will deteriorate rapidly. It is inevitable because scripture is essential to our spiritual well-being. And so we need to spend time with Christ in his word, and I think we also need to spend time with Christ in prayer. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, you know this verse, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get, what, 
tired, they will walk and not become weary. You feeling weary and worn? It could be because you're not spending enough time in prayer. You're not drawing strength, right? Divine strength from the Lord by waiting. You say, how do I get? Well, you wait on the Lord. You say, well, what does that mean? I just sit around and wait? No, it's not talking about when, when the Bible talks about waiting on the Lord. It doesn't mean you, you sit around and do nothing. Waiting means you meditate on his attributes. You believe his promises. You cast your fear and anxiety on him, knowing that he cares for you. You seek him with all your heart. You long for him like a deer panting for water. You prefer and desire him above anything or anyone else on this earth. You obey his commands. You strive to glorify or honor him in all that you say and you do. That's what it means to wait upon the Lord. And that's all really a spirit of prayer. And so spending time in the word is like you're, you're nibbling on some green grass, right? And, and then you're spending time in prayer. It's like you're, you're beside those still waters, right? It's no wonder that we call it a quiet time. Right? A quiet time. A time for peace, a time for rest, a time to renew our strength, to feed ourselves from the scriptures, to express our dependence on the Lord, our need of the Lord, to ask him for renewed strength and help for the next day, for the for what what he has in store for us that day. And so if you're not in the habit of having a quiet time, which is basically spending some time alone with the Lord, just you and him, with your Bible, then no better time to start than now. And I would just encourage you, it doesn't have to be an hour. You don't have to spend an hour every morning. I mean, that's awesome if you do. Hopefully someday you'll get to that point where that's, an hour's not enough. You're like, oh man, I gotta go to work. Man, I wish I had another hour, right? But man, just start with five minutes. Start with one verse. One simple prayer, which might lead to 10 minutes, which might lead to 15 minutes, and then 20 minutes, right? And then a half hour. And you're, again, you're going to run out of time, and you, your hunger and thirst will grow for Christ and his word. That's one of the distinctives of Lakeside Bible Church, one of the priorities of Lakeside Bible Church that we kind of put out there from day one. Some 13 years ago, we said we want to be a church filled with people who develop the habit of a daily quiet time, where we're just in the Word every day, praying and, and reading the Word, because we know that that is the primary means that God has given us to maintain our walk with Him, is having a quiet time. Just to remind you that this is not something that we do in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit, right? It's always through the strength of the, that the Spirit provides. Keller mentions this. He mentions the, how Jesus referenced the Holy Spirit, that, the, that he was to send the gracious Holy Spirit who was to, give, uh, who was to lead them into all truth, he would come as a guide and counselor. Always he would lead us into the things of Christ. He would make us see that the life in Christ was the only truly satisfying life. 
we would discover the delight of having our souls satisfied with his presence. It would be he who would become to us very meat and drink that at his resurrection, as his resurrection, overcoming life was imparted to me by his spirit. Each day I would be refreshed and satisfied. Keller goes on, he says, it is the humble heart walking quietly and contentedly in the close and intimate companionship of Christ that is at rest, that can relax, simply glad to lie down and let the world go by. In other words, instead of getting caught up in the rat race, right, just to content to let the world go by. When my eyes are on my master, this is the place of peace. As long as we keep our eyes on the shepherd, right, that's when we'll maintain peace and rest. Isaiah 26, 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I'm sure most of you have heard that old hymn, Like a River Glorious. It goes like this, Like a River Glorious is God's perfect peace. Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care, not a blast of hurry, touch the spirit there. Stayed upon Jehovah or stayed upon Christ Jesus, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised, perfect peace and rest. That was an old hymn that some of you young people may not have heard. So how about a, a newer hymn, a newer song? We good with that, Blake? This is a song that I'm sure that most of you have heard on the radio. It's by 10th Avenue North, and it's just called I'm Worn. And it just talks about how we get sometimes in our Christian lives and the guy who wrote this song said that this song was inspired when he was leaving the house one day and his wife, who had just had a baby and they had spent like weeks without a full night's rest, um, just looked at him with bleary eyes and just said, I am worn out. And uh, he went to his writing studio and wrote this song. And I think all of us can relate to what it feels like to be just absolutely worn out. And so hopefully this song will encourage you. So we'll just listen to it and then I'll close in prayer.
Father, we thank you for this rem- precious reminder of the sovereignty of rest, Lord, that we can't make ourselves rest. You are the one that has to provide that for us. Thank you for being such a, a good and gracious shepherd. Forgive us for so often leaving the green pastures and still waters that you so generously provide for us to go find something that we think is better and will be more satisfying. And Lord, when we do, we know that's why we lack the peace and rest in our lives that you promise us. And so Lord, just help us to understand this and that you would help us to, uh, when we get worn out and, and just don't feel, don't feel like we can take another step or pray another prayer or open our Bibles one more time or get up and make breakfast for the family or go off to work, Lord, that we would just be reminded that we need to to wait on you for our strength through prayer and through your word and that you would help all of us, especially this summer as so often our habits um, falter, Lord, that we would not let our quiet time uh, go on vacation this summer, Lord, but that we would be even more dedicated and committed to spending time alone with you every morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.